Well, we are coming to the end of our study in 1 John, finally getting to the last chapter. And uh, just thank you for joining us once again this evening. And uh, welcome. Trust that our time together is going to be of some value and challenging, a challenging message uh, from John as he writes this last chapter uh, of this book. So pray with me as we just commit this time uh, to the Lord. Lord, we remember again that your word is like hammer and fire and accomplishing all that you intend for it to do. And Lord, as your word goes out and even as we again uh, examine this passage before us tonight, that Lord, your word would indeed be uh, powerful and accessing the hearts of us as individuals. Lord, challenging us and also transforming us and leading us in ways that are pleasing to you. We remember again the, bl the blessing and ministry of your Holy Spirit, that he is at work in us and even through your word as it is taught here tonight. So we commit this time to you now, Lord, praying in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this evening's study and introduce uh, the study by uh, just relaying two different uh, stories two different things that I experienced, I guess. I guess. One is that some time ago I was listening to the afternoon uh, talk radio and a lady called in quite late in the afternoon and she did so to report uh, what was happened or what had happened to, to a particular woman and this woman had been beaten and she was badly wounded and she was desperate for help. The eyewitness that called in at the radio was unable to contact the police for whatever reason I don't know but fortunately fortunately she called into the radio the the staff at the radio station believed her report and swiftly acted to rescue the victim to help that person who had been uh, beaten and wounded well that's the one story and perhaps you could just keep that in your mind the other the other one is about uh, uh, my little youngest little girl, I should call her, uh, some years ago when she was just little, five years old, uh, she reported to us as a family that there was a monster in the garden. Uh, she made every effort to, to reassure us that uh, it was true and that we were not to worry because it was a small, friendly monster and therefore we need not be afraid. Well, for some strange reason, no one in the family believed her. All five of us just ignored her. Uh, all five of us uh, did not take any notice of the particular report of the monster in the garden. No one rushed outside to investigate the presence of the monster. We made no attempt to capture the reported monster. So just thinking about these two different events, these two different reported events, in the first instance, the report was believed and action was taken. In the second instance, the report was not believed and no action was taken. Why the difference in reaction to belief? I want us to think a little bit about that this uh, evening. Isn't it true that in both instances a report was given to others who were not present. So, why the different responses? 
were, were the radio personnel just more gullible? Were we as a family just lazy and uncaring and, and unmoved? I want us to think and, and even ask the question, have you ever considered why in some instances you believe what you are told, what you hear, and it leads to some kind of action? And then in other instances you also hear, but you do not believe what has been said, and so you remain inactive. We can develop that into a question, a principal question, is how do you determine what to believe and what not to believe? Any ideas? Any ideas as to why you would believe something in one instance and not believe in another instance? Well, I want to suggest to you, at least in some measure, it has to do with the credibility of the person reporting. Also, combined with that, the reasonableness of what has been said or what is being said. And so, in a general sense, I think that would be true. Uh, everyday life, as we go about life, as we hear things, as we're called upon to respond or act or not respond and remain inactive. I also think that that kind of thinking, at least to some degree, can be applied in the context of faith. And this is what we're going to be looking at in this passage tonight. How do you come to know and to believe that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world? Now, your response, and it's, it's a response of faith or, or conviction and, and even assurance, depends on the validity of what has been reported about Jesus. Very important, and perhaps I even say that again. It depends on the validity of what has been reported regarding or about Jesus. See, do you believe that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world? Very important question. Important that you respond to that. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Every single person needs to decide. When this message is reported, uh, it is heard, and the recipient or the receiver needs to make a decision. To believe or not to believe. Let me urge you only uh, as we think through this passage tonight to, 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 to understand why it is you believe or not believe in a particular instance. And when it comes to uh, Jesus and, and the question I just asked about whether he's the savior of the world, I want us in the first instance to consider the testimony of history. Just looking at the testimony of, of history. Now, there are those who suggest that Jesus and the work of Jesus is the product of uh, someone's fertile imagination, some kind of religious people who are seeking to propagate a movement and to create credibility to gain momentum uh, for their movement. Or, or we need to ask, uh, did he at a particular point in time enter the stage of this world and accomplish something worthwhile? What, what ought we to do with what has been reported about Jesus? Now, John and the other apostles, we're told in, in this letter, back in chapter 4 and verse 14, were eyewitnesses of all that he did and claimed. We have seen, John says, and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior 
of the world. So keep that in mind that there have been eyewitnesses of that which he said and that which he did. They were there. They saw Jesus with their own eyes as others did. Very interestingly, just even to uh, quote something that is outside of the Bible, an extra biblical source, a respected secular author and historian by the name of Josephus. Let me quote him very interestingly. He says, now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, for he was a doer of wonders. He drew many after him when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross. Those that loved him at first did not forsake him, and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. Quoted uh, from a work by the name of Antiquities. Now the point is, we need to consider the testimony from history. The most important source for us is the Bible. The extra-biblical source certainly adds value, it adds validity to the reality, to the historicity, to the fact that Jesus existed. But John is writing this letter, and he's writing this letter in, in response to those who were denying some uh, of the historical uh, truth of what Jesus had accomplished and who he was. And so John adds in this letter uh, a further testimony of three witnesses. Look at verse 6 of chapter 5. This is the one who came by water and the blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. What is John saying? What is he communicating? Well, he's saying here that Jesus came into the world. He came to us through certain historical events which qualify him to be the savior of the world. There were certain circumstances. There were certain events through which Jesus came in order to be the savior. Well, let's have a look at the two of these, at least to begin with. He came through water. Well, John here is referring to the baptism of Jesus. We know that Jesus was there before his baptism, uh, but it was at his baptism as the eternal Son of God that he was declared and approved by the Father that he was commissioned and empowered to do his work. So this was a particular uh, important uh, event setting aside Jesus which after, uh, after this event, he continues with his public ministry. So he came, he came to ministry. He came amongst the people publicly uh, through water. The second reference uh, John makes here is, is he came through blood. Now blood refers to the death of Jesus. And we remember that it was through the death of Jesus that his work was finally finished in terms of the atoning sacrifice, he had to die to accomplish the purpose for which he came, to be the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. And so his death was a real death, a historical event. Now, the blood of Jesus had, has already been mentioned in this book of 1 John. Earlier on, if we go back to chapter 2, verse 2, and even chapter 4, verse 10, uh, we see in chapter 2 that the blood of Jesus had turned aside the Father's anger. So there was the, 
the, the usefulness, the efficacy of the work of Jesus, the blood that was shed. It was the blood of Jesus in, 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 in this book we are told that cleanses the conscience of the Christian who walks in the light. Chapter 1 and verse 7. The historical record is what we are talking about here. This record has it that Jesus, Jesus Christ, the God-man, came into this world with a specific purpose. And so the events of the baptism through water, the event of his death through blood, stands as a testimony, as a witness to him being the Savior of the world. He accomplished the work that he came to do. Now, having considered those two witnesses, there is a third witness in this passage. And the third witness mentioned is in this passage is that of the Holy Spirit. So Jonia confirms that the Holy Spirit is competent to testify to Jesus, about Jesus, because he is the Spirit of truth. In verse 6, and it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. And so in this particular instance, now there are other ways that the Spirit uh, witnesses, but we are focusing on this passage. How does the Spirit bear witness? How, what, what are we being told regarding the witness of the Spirit in this passage? And John here is referring to the inward and subjective witness of the Spirit. He's already spoken of the Spirit given to us in a previous passage in chapter 3, verse 24, chapter 4, verse 13, where with the Spirit is, in, is dwelling within us, the indwelling presence of the Spirit. has twice ascribed the confession of Christ as the divine human Lord to the anointing of the Spirit when someone confesses Jesus as Lord. There's another example that I thought would be helpful. Uh, you can turn to the book of uh, Acts and chapter 10. And here we have uh, the Apostle Peter preaching. And uh, again, we see these witnesses are, are, are being raised. These witnesses are at work, are seen to be at work. Uh, Peter preaching, for example, about Jesus as Lord of all in verse 36. He mentions his authentic humanity. Now remember, he's, he's declaring the truth, the historicity of Jesus, uh, the fact that he was a man, that he was Jesus of Nazareth. He speaks about Jesus' empowerment by the Spirit at his baptism, verse 38, there by the water, the death on the cross, verse 39, by the blood. And so the reality of his humanity, even after his resurrection, verse 41, Peter here in Acts chapter 10 is putting Jesus before his hearers as the object of their faith. And we see that in verse 43. And the Holy Spirit then, in the declaration of the historical record and the historical fact, we read that, that the Holy Spirit came on those that were listening with faith in their hearts. There's this inward subjective work of the Spirit taking place in those that are present, some of those who are present. And so there are two types of substantiating uh, witnesses or two types of substantiating testimony that we need to be aware of. That is the objective, 
the reported record. And there is the subjective, which is the internal work of the spirit in an individual's life. So it's the objective and it's the subjective. We need to, uh, perhaps, well, we can put them in different words. We speak about the historical. What is it that actually unfolded uh, in the life of Jesus and, and, and what he did and what he said? That's the historical. But there's also the experimental. What was the result of that work? What was the Holy Spirit doing in the lives of individual people? And then uh, from our passage tonight, we have the objective, uh, the objective, which is the water and the blood, and the subjective, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, these witnesses combine, verse 8 from our passage, to agree to confirm that which was required in the law for something to be validated. Something needed to be established by two or three witnesses. So can you see how important it is as we do gospel ministry, as we ourselves are recipients of gospel ministry? It's a both and. It's the, the, the report, the historical, the objective, uh, uh, what we're told about Jesus, what he accomplished, and the subjective, which is the work, the internal working of the Spirit. I want to move on then uh, to a second point. As we, we think about the, the validity of, of, of what we believe, uh, not only the witnesses, but I want us to consider and just think very briefly about the source of the testimony. So I want to go back to uh, my five-year-old at the time. I mean, I love my children. I love all my children and uh, uh, listen very carefully to her report on the friendly monster. But I know that she's five years old. I know that she's got a fertile imagination. I know that there aren't monsters in the garden. And, and, and so I don't believe her. I know it's just talk. Whereas if in a different situation, uh, an older child, one of my older children said there was uh, an intruder in the garden. I would jump out of my seat and either lock the doors or get something to protect us because Again, the, the person bringing the witness, one, one, one gives a certain amount of weight to the person, to the source of who is reporting uh, the, the particular uh, news. You see, everything we hear comes from a particular source. And so we knowingly or even unknowingly uh, subconsciously, we give weight to a particular report depending on where it comes from, depending on the source. And so this very next verse, verse 9 uh, in, in our passage, declares what has so far only been implied. Let me, let me uh, read uh, the verse uh, again. So we're looking at, at verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. What's John saying over here? He declares, or this verse declares that, that yes, that the spirit, uh, the water and the blood all bear witness to Christ. And, and the reason they agree, the reason they are valid, the reason we ought to give them weight is because God himself is behind them. God is the source. Uh, it is God who bore witness to his son in history. Remember at the baptism, this is my beloved son whom, in, in whom I'm well pleased. 
It is God who bears witness to him today in our hearts by his spirit. So God is the source. And so therefore we accept the witness of the word. Again, the source that God has provided uh, of the historicity, the, the, the objective uh, knowledge and truth that, that needs to be declared. And, and, and you may say, but do we ever do that? Well, we do that with people. And, and people are not even uh, the, sometimes the most reliable people out. We, we get involved in signing contracts uh, with ourselves or entering into a contract between ourselves and someone else. We, we pay an account when, when, when something comes via the email or we buy a plane ticket. And, and, and so we're trusting the source of those particular uh, instances. And that's from man. How much more should we not believe when the source, in fact, is God? If you believe people, why don't you believe God, whose word alone is absolutely trustworthy? And then finally, just a third point, as we look at this passage, I want us to consider uh, the results um, of this testimony, or the results of this report. So going back to my opening illustration, you see, had the radio personnel not believed the report of the woman in distress, she may have died. So there's a consequence. That's the point I'm trying to make. To believe or not to believe a report, there may be a consequence, especially if the particular report is valid and true. So fortunately for that wounded and beaten lady, the credible and urgent report was believed by those who were told the, the woman was rescued from danger. So let's go back to the gospel. The gospel is a report. Jesus lived in terms of our passage he was baptized and commissioned into a public ministry sent by his father sent by God Jesus died those are just facts these are historical facts on the third day he, he rose from the dead again just it's, it's a report it's, it's objective truth and then after some days again, he ascended into heaven. So do, do, do you see the gospel here? Now we can interpret the gospel. And, and yes, there's, there's content. There's much meat to, to bring into it and say, well, uh, who was Jesus? And, and how do we understand he came into the world, world in terms of incarnation? We speak about uh, his perfect righteousness and, and, and the fact that, that he alone was the one who could, in fact, die for the sins of the world. And so what was accomplished on the cross? And so we, we give interpretation or we are given uh, interpretation and content to the historical uh, facts. But the bottom line is that we need to see that the gospel is a report of what Jesus Christ has done to rescue sinners from the danger of the wrath of God. The purpose of the testimony to Christ is to evoke faith. Here is a report. How will you respond? Here are the facts of history and, and, and how this impacts you. It does impact you. How will you respond? So receiving the testimony leads to believing, leads to the benefits of believing. And then, of course, rejecting the testimony has consequences as well. So there are consequences for those who believe, there are consequences for those who do not believe the report. So let's have a look at these results in these two instances. In the first instance, the results are believing. So early in the passage, John identifies those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God 
uh, as those who overcome the world. Now, this book, and we, we've, we looked at three different tests along the way. I'm not sure if you remember them. Uh, they are various hurdles. they are various uh, ways in which we're able to assess and see whether we can have assurance of faith if we are overcoming these particular challenges. They come to us at the beginning of, of this book. In fact, uh, this, the theological uh, hurdle where Jesus is the Christ and he's been born of God. Uh, and then there's the relational one. Everyone who loves the Father uh, loves whoever has been born of Him. There's the relational one of, of love. And, and by this we know that we are children of God when we obey His commandments. And there's the obedience. So th- those are three hurdles. And, and the point is that when there is obedience to God, when there's been love for God and others, when there's doctrinal content, those are the three tests of faith. Those who believe the report of the gospel will be rescued from the danger of defeat in these areas. Everyone born of God, verse 4, overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to have the assurance of faith, having access into heaven, having the anticipation and even the present experience of eternal life, but there's more. Another result of the growing belief is, is the deeper assurance of the inner witness of the Spirit. Objective? Now we're seeing the subjective. The Spirit who confirms, that inner witness of the Spirit, who confirms in your heart that you're a, that you're a believer benefiting from that which Jesus came to do and accomplished. Anyone who believes in the Son has this testimony in his heart. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. Great benefit. He who believes there's a consequence, the result. Eternal life is the free gift which God gives to those who believe in His Son. So verse 13 is a summary, and it really goes on to the next passage, and uh, I'll just uh, touch on it. Uh, John's mentioning there his intention of writing this letter, that believers are strengthened. I write these things to you believe, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And then there's the verse 14, the confidence of coming to God and, and, and knowing when we pray in his will that he does indeed uh, give us that which we ask for. But then, to end with, the results of not believing. Verse 10. Anyone who does not believe God, wow, this is serious, has made him out to be a liar. That's that's what unbelief actually means. God, God, you're a liar. God, I don't believe you. Because he has not believed the testimony of God the testimony God has given about his son, the report of all that Jesus came and said and did and accomplished. It's a terrible thing to be in unbelief, uh, a warning to those who do not and, and, and some who will not believe. Um, unbelief doesn't just place you in a particular group of people with a certain view or opinion. Unbelief confirms an unwillingness to submit to God and confirms anyone's status as an enemy of God. 
John Stott, and I want to quote him. He he uh, says something here that I think is helpful about unbelief. He says, unbelief is not a misfortune to be pitied. It is a sin to be deplored. He goes on. Its sinfulness lies in the fact that it contradicts the word of the one true God and thus attributes falsehood to him. It's a testimony that God has given regarding Jesus and the work he came to do and accomplished. If we reject that testimony, we're saying, we don't believe you, God. Therefore, those who do not believe will remain in serious danger. The unbeliever remains in disobedience and deception and remain foreigners to the love the redeeming love of God. The unbeliever does not have the Son and remains spiritually dead. No forgiveness, no saving grace, no fellowship with God, no assurance of the life hereafter, no confidence in prayer. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so, folk, if you are a believer tonight, you have every reason to rejoice. History has spoken. God has spoken through history, recorded for us in his word. Jesus came through water and the blood. The Spirit has been at work. The Spirit is at work through the ages in individual, in the lives of individual men and women. And so if God has spoken, is there a more credible witness? No, no. Listen, therefore, we ought to listen. We must listen. The results are there for you to consider whether to believe or not to believe. I quite, a, I think, a challenging message, also an, a message of assurance and just a message of, of just a demonstration again of the love of God in that which has been accomplished for sinful humanity. Lord, we do pray that uh, the gospel report would be heralded accurately uh, to us and even to the nations of the world. But Lord, that as your spirit is at work inwardly, bringing about that wonderful work of regeneration, Lord, that many, many, many men and women from every nation, tribe and language would come to know you and believe, receiving the gospel, repenting from sin and placing their faith in Jesus. Pray for us as a church. Help us to be unashamed of this gospel report. May we declare it, Lord, faithfully and broadly. In Jesus' name. Amen. So just one final comment. Uh, there are some questions, again, just for those who are meeting together in a group. Uh, do you have some discussion regarding the, this passage from those questions that I've put out there? And uh, God bless you. Be with you uh, as you continue in this week, we look forward to meeting together uh, in worship on Sunday, and uh, both at the Hill and at Arcadia. So good night and God bless.